0: Of hearing from my friend, and some of you know this guy from, from Wallace friends This is Scott Bridges, and me and Scott go back probably over 20 years. More than 20. to St. Louis, and uh, when I was at Covenant Seminary, Scott was an assistant pastor at a church right next to Covenant Seminary called Covenant Prez. And uh, I remember Scott. Um, one of the let me see, I, yeah, it's good. It's good. Is that good? Yeah, put it on there. Um, Scott was uh, an assistant pastor at this church, and there was a huge flood in 1993 in St. Louis. It, like, like in Iowa and Missouri was really flooded, and he, along with some other churches, um, specifically I remember him was they were doing a lot of um, swamping out. So one one Saturday or something, oh, I man. went with you, yeah. Put on a big rubber suit, a lot of rubber gloves and everything, and we went and we mucked out. Some buildings in Chesterfield, Missouri. That was fun. So, um, not. Yeah. So, anyway, but, and we probably all got sick because of it. But, um, Scott is also the chairman of the RUF committee. So, this man right here is like my boss as well. Okay. So, anyway, I'm excited that you're here. Some of you know, some of you might not know, I've been sick kind of this past spring. Got diagnosed with celiac disease and acid reflux to the hill and all kinds of things and so scott along with some other folks are going to be kind of coming every other week to just kind of take the pressure off me a little bit and uh, so i won't be speaking every week but every other week and logan's going to be speaking as well um, so anyway without further ado thank you for being here
1: yeah we have known each other for a long time and uh for those of you who are new to RUF, I'll just say this. My, my daughter, Emily, is a senior involved with RUF. And when she was trying to make her decision about where to go to school, um, as a dad, I, I, made, I was determined not to tell her what to do. And, uh, but she kept pressing. Uh, okay, let, let's do some pros and cons of the different schools. And, uh, and she made me make out some pros and cons of the different schools she was looking at. And uh, the very first thing I always said when it came to Maryland about the pros is, and I mean this sincerely, is uh, I would be happy if Chris Garriott was my pastor. And uh, her freshman year, she came home every weekend. It was like the first time I'd ever been right in my life. It was like, you're right, Dad. I'm glad he's my pastor. So, uh, I I am too. So, anyway, uh, we're in the book of Acts. And uh, we're at uh, a big deal in not just uh, the book, but in the history of mankind. Um, In Acts 2, the church is born. And uh, you've got, yes, 1 through 41. What I'm going to do is read 14 through 41. So... And we'll go from there. There you go. You are the man. Very good. So, how about we pray, and then we read this rather lengthy passage. It's a sermon. Have you ever heard a sermon on a sermon? Okay, fasten your seatbelts. Let's pray. Father, speak to us. Meet us here by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Each of us where we need to be met. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is Acts 2, 14 through 41. So, the Holy Spirit has come. Jesus is resurrected. He said, stay in Jerusalem. They've been hiding in fear. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And these people who'd betrayed Jesus, who'd run away and deserted, who'd been hiding in fear, all of a sudden are filled with boldness. And Peter uh, preaches the sermon that burst the church, and this is it. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour, that's like 9 a.m. of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood." before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's holy word. Before I start talking about this, I have to say something else. I apologize. I meant to say this before. Um, the Sunday after church, and by the way, I'm the pastor at Wallace, which is that white church across the street uh, on University in Metzorot. Um, My wife and I would like to invite all of you to join. It doesn't matter if you go to Wallace or not. Uh, we, we'd like to invite you to come over to our house for lunch. And... Uh, just to hang out and meet some other believers. We Last time we did this, we had like 65 college students at our house hanging out. And uh, Mabel Sawhill, who is a true force of nature, is cooking. Uh, she's 99. I'm not kidding you. And, uh, and is an amazing cook. So uh, come. It'll be about 1230. Come to our house. So uh, and... Okay. Okay. So check the Facebook page. Okay, so... All right, now, the church is birthed. And there are lots of things that we could say about it. There are a million doctoral dissertations that have been written about the sermon. I I want to do one thing, though. I want to focus on one aspect, and it's this. It's because of who Jesus is and what he came to do that makes us who we are. And we should let that have its way with us. Let, let, let me put it to you this way. I don't know if the story is true. It persists. I've read it in a number of uh, different places. But uh, during the Civil War, here in the DC area, um, there was a, a private in the Army of the Potomac. Uh, his parents were rather elderly living on a farm up up um, up north somewhere, in you know, Pennsylvania, New York. and. Uh, he got word from his mother a letter that his father had fallen off the roof, repairing the roof of the barn and had broken his ribs and was unable to get in the... It was time to harvest. And basically, you know, in the days when there was no crop insurance, there was no Medicaid, there was no welfare, uh, nothing like that, if they didn't get the crop in, they not only were going to lose their farm, but they would know severe hunger, kind of starvation status. And so he put into uh, his... Uh, commanding officer for leave, and it was denied it. And uh, he was standing on the banks of the Potomac, uh, basically crying, when uh, this this young kid in uh, in in a uniform showed up and said, "Hey, soldier, what's the problem?" Well, he thought, "Okay, well, I don't have anybody else to talk to," and he he poured out his heart. And the young boy grabbed him by the hand and said, Come with me. Well, he didn't know what to do, so he just followed this kid to the White House. And uh, the kid didn't stop. The guards went to attention when the kid walked in. And he walked into the Oval Office, and Abraham Lincoln looked up and said, Hey, Tad, what can I do for you, son? And Tad. Abraham Lincoln's son, told him about the soldier's plight and Lincoln wrote a pass for him on that day. Now, I don't know, like I said, if it's true, but I do know of many places, many times, where Lincoln had had that kind of interaction with people. So it's not beyond the pale. But the point is this. Um, The soldier was a nobody who had nobody appearance. That's, That's the case. Tad had his father. He had an identity. I mean, the the kid even wore, he really did, during the Civil War. He wore a Union Army uniform. And uh, because of who his father was, it made up his identity. And, And what we're reading here in this first sermon is the birth of the church. It's a, it's a radical kind of paradigm shift of God making a people for Himself, making them who He made them to be, both individually and, and collectively as the church. And what I want to do is talk about why we should ground our identity in that. You know, uh, the, the first of, of semester uh, in the fall is a delightful and terrifying time, because everybody's scrambling to find some significance in their grade point, in their good looks, in their circle of friends. You know, in the symbols that they can put on their body, you know, uh, whatever that might be today. I'm an old guy, so I don't know anymore and don't really care. But uh, th- there is that. And there, and there are four bases for grounding our identity in him. And the beautiful thing about this sermon, I want you to think about this, is that when Peter stood up to preach this, he was not a salesman. He didn't make a pitch. As a matter of fact, he said some really hard things, didn't he? Yeah, this guy that you crucified, this is who he is. He said hard things. So it wasn't a sales pitch like, hey, here's God and what he can do for you to make you happy. No, what he said is, look, finally, somebody worthy of your worship. Look, finally, somebody to make you who you were meant to be. Look, finally, somebody that you were meant to be in relationship with. And that's a beautiful thing. And what I want to do is look at four of the invitations that he gives. Uh, the first one is going to be uh, take up most of the text, verses 14 through 31. It's where it's basically where Peter gives all of these Old Testament quotes from uh, uh, from Joel the prophet, from the Psalms, from from David, uh, from other places in the Hebrew Scriptures. But basically, what he's saying is. In all of this, because he's speaking to Jews, is look, the one that we've been looking for is finally here. He's the focal point of history. And it's an important thing for us to understand today. We, you know, don't look at it the way that the Jews did back in that day. But what, what I'd like to submit to you is a couple of things for you to think about. And it's this. If, if anybody ever asks you what the Bible is about, it's one of those times that you can give the Sunday school answer. What's the Sunday school answer? Jesus. Jesus. It's about Jesus. It really is. And, and I'm not kidding you. I, I, mean, I want you to think about the fact that, that every passage of this book is, re- is redemptive in focus. It it points to Jesus. The Hebrew Scriptures, because that's all they had at the time of the writing of this, this sermon or the preaching of this sermon, every single passage either predicts Jesus' coming, points out, and by the way, I'm giving you Ps to help you remember. So it predicts, it points out our need for Jesus, or prefigures so the prefiguring is, can can be lots of different ways, like the sacrificial system, that there had to be a lamb whose blood was shed to to redeem us from our sin. That there were people like Moses and David who are called by theologians types of Christ, you know, people coming and prefiguring who he'd be and what he'd be about. So that so that really, if if you've ever wondered, uh, and, and by the way, I, I didn't become a Christian until the summer before. I started university. And so I got involved in a campus ministry. And uh, I was talking to a guy who was a leader and from my hometown, and he helped me become a Christian. And I'm like, okay, so how do you have worship time? What do you do? And he told me, and, you know, you study your Bible and you pray, and he talked about this kind of stuff. And I remember opening up the Bible and going, okay, what, where do I go? What do I do? Uh, Pray. Okay, God, uh, what do you want to talk about? You know, kind of thing. And I, I can give you a real good clue about how to be successful in studying your Bible. Is that any place you open it up and you read it, you need to be able to answer this question. What aspect of my fallenness, my brokenness, is being addressed redemptively in this passage? Where is Jesus meeting me here? Either predicting that He's coming, and, and what is it about that prediction that meets me? Uh, pointing out my need. What is my need here? You know, that kind of thing. So, there's that. The other thing is this. Um, that what we see in this sermon is a huge paradigm shift. It, it really is from the old... To the new, but all along the way it 's been organic in nature. In other words, you know from Genesis to this point, it 's been like an acorn growing. But what we begin to understand here in the sermon when it says, "Oh yeah, by the way, about three thousand people became Christians that day. You know, just that 's all. Uh, a good bit of Jerusalem back in that day. Is, is we begin to understand the power and the potential of the revelation of who this person is, of, of his identity, of who he is, and what he came to do, what he actually accomplished. And, and what you need to understand is, this sermon is going, okay, God revealing himself is like an acorn growing up to a mighty oak tree. And this sermon says, no, 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 no. That's not the potential that we're talking about here. Usually that's that's what people think. What's the potential of an acorn? To become a big, mighty oak tree. No. You know what the potential of an acorn is? To cover an entire continent with big, mighty oak trees. You get it? In other words, there's this huge quantum leap forward to say look as, as John the Baptist who really again just stands for the entire Old Testament says so well behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin
2: of the world
1: he's here every second of human history has been leading to this point and moment, and most importantly, this person. That's what we're talking about. And that's why Peter had something to stand up and talk about. Now, here's a problem, though. When you get this invitation, Behold the Lamb of God. I, I, I've been a pastor for a long time. I, you know, I, I got ordained in 1992. Some of you probably didn't even exist then. Um, I, I'm amazed uh, by how often people uh, are like, "Yeah, Jesus, that, that's great," but I, I, I kind of wanted a pony, you know? How often I have other preferences too. Uh, a colleague of mine, when he was young in the ministry, had a had a girl in high school come into his office, and she was very depressed. And um, and he, he asked what the problem was, and she said, Well, I know that Jesus loves me, and I know that he died for my sins, and I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. But what good does that do me when I can't get the boys at school to even look at me? And I can't tell you how many iterations I've heard of that over the years. Okay, that, that's great. Jesus, sure, fine. But if, if I don't get this grade, if I don't get this degree, if I don't land this job, if I don't get that girl, if I don't this, that, the other thing, none of it means anything. And, and so what I want to say is, why don't you stop for a second in the middle of this frenetic beginning of your semester when everybody has a lot of insecurity and is trying to find a way to ground themselves and go, isn't it significant that all of human history was leading up to this point and this person and what he came to do and he actually did. And maybe it's worth going, okay, he did that for me, even me. And... uh, I think what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm going to ground myself in that. That, uh, that there was a way, a very real way, in which he thought of me and you as you believe in him um, to do this. That you were his purpose in coming. That, I hope, is an encouragement to you. We're going to move on, though. So, the first reason I would say ground yourself in him is because he's the focal point of history, that's all. Uh, everything leads up to him, and then everything else rolls out as a result of him. The second one is because he's an ascended living savior. And, uh, you know, I, I think we need to root ourselves in that because it gives us the guts to, to face the bad news of the good news. You know, the word gospelos is where we get the word gospel. It means in the Greek, good news. But have you ever thought kind of how ironic that is? Because the first part of the good news is the bad news. I love a seminary professor, Jack Miller, at Westminster Theological Seminary, used to say it this way. The first part of the gospel is, Cheer up, you're even worse off than you thought you were. And it's true. And, and, you know, if you know, we were to roll it out, if we knew ourselves, at least the dark part of ourselves, the way that God knows it, we wouldn't be able to stand ourselves. We, we just wouldn't. But then the second half of the gospel is cheer up. His grace is greater than we ever dared hope it to be. And that's exactly what's going on here. I mean, in, in verse 23 and in verses 36 and 37, Peter bluntly says in Acts 2, you guys murdered Jesus. And he knew you were going to murder him, and he still came anyway. Doesn't it blow your mind that, that what got Jesus murdered was that he raised Lazarus from the dead? In John 11, you go back there and you look, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. It's just before the Passover. And, and it's just five miles from Jerusalem. Hundreds of thousands of people have flooded the city. It, it, the, the news goes like wildfire. And that's what galvanizes these people to murder Jesus. They're like, that does it. We've we got to take this guy out. He, he engineered the timing of his own murder. And he knew how much we did not deserve him to die for us, and yet He still went anyway. There's also not just the greatness of our need, but the greatness of His excellencies, of His personhood. I mean, think of uh, what it says in verse 22, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a men attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst as you yourselves know. Verse 24 God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 33, if I can find it. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And it goes on and on about, again, not here's God and what he can do for you, but look, somebody finally worthy of your love, of your loyalty, and of your allegiance. I, I tried to think of a way to to explain what this is about. This is this is what the Bible calls grace. In other words, a love that's given to us that we don't deserve, but is still ours anyway. And um, the closest I can come to it is this. Um, I've been married for close to 25 years now. Uh, And I'll never forget one morning I woke up. I'm I'm the early morning person in our family. And I woke up and I was looking at Julie, my wife, lying there asleep. And uh, like I said, we'd been married about six months. I was in the middle of graduate school uh, training for the ministry. And um, I had one of those aha moments and I hadn't even had coffee yet, so it's really significant. I, I, could, I, could, I faked being a nice person while we dated because we dated long distance. And when we got married, I was able to fake being a decent human being for about six days. And then I had to go back to being myself. And, and we'd been married about six months, and Julie knew who I really, really was. The bad part. Things that I, I was ashamed that she would know about me. And I was looking at her lying there asleep, and I thought, she knows more garbage about me than any other human being on the planet, and she still loves me anyway. And I, I'm, I'm not normally really emo, but I had one of those moments... Um, it just blew my mind. And somebody would know who I am and still love me anyway. And and that wonder is only deepened uh, the more, well, the longer we're married. And what what's being talked about here is that here is a person who the infinite, eternal God stepped into space and to time, and underwent all the miseries of this life, and and then went to hell on a cross for us. And underwent the power of death. And he knew what a wretch I was. What a wretch you are. And he still came anyway. That's real counterintuitive. Like I said, I, I mean, my wife's love for me is is almost the closest I can come to trying to explain that in human terms. But again, this is the invitation. This is the person who's coming... And the beautiful thing about this, think about this, is that that's what differentiates Christianity from the world's religions. I mean, think. Uh, they they say, and I, I'll, I'll prove it, they say, here's what you do to find God, in Christianity, the good news is, here's what God did to find you. You know, Judaism, uh, our sister religion, Mitzvot, it's it's Hebrew. It means good deeds, deeds of righteousness. So like Bar Mitzvah is son of righteousness. You know, uh, salvation. You do more good things than you do bad things. Buddhism, the eightfold path of wisdom. You follow this, and you do these things, and you will eventually reach it. Hinduism, you know, there's karma and, and the ladder of reincarnation. You climb up it far enough, you'll get there. You know. There's the five pillars of Islam. You know. Here's what you do to achieve righteousness. And Jesus says, No. no. <laughs> Be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. He said that in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew five, forty eight. And he said, But uh, you're not going to do that, so I'm gonna go to hell for you. That's what I'm gonna do for you. And again it's that Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Somebody finally worthy of your love and your loyalty and your allegiance. He's also a leader through His Spirit. You know, it's kind of weird what goes on there. Uh, Just before the sermon is preached, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. And it was given in a very special way to these guys so that they could establish the church in the world so that just a few years later uh, some of them and and some of their disciples would be in Thessalonica and it says in Acts 17 that they got there, they started preaching about Jesus, uh, a church got started and the people of that city went into a rage, started a riot, dragged them before the law enforcement there in Thessalonica and screamed out, the men who turned the world upside down are here. Now what's up with that? It's just this. Christianity says that God not only wants to have a relationship with you, but one that's incredibly, incredibly intimate. The night before Jesus died, in the Last Supper, he's talking about the role of the Holy Spirit. Now we see the Holy Spirit here allowing Peter to be bold and and for lots of people to become Christians for the church to get started all the way to Acts 17 in Thessalonica. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. But one of the things that Jesus says there about the Holy Spirit in in John chapter 14 is he says, "Do not be afraid. I will be with you and will live in you." And what he's trying to describe is something, again, that we really don't have um, a picture for. In other words, I want to be more intimate than the most intimate kind of relationship that you've ever had. I want to be that intimate with you. I want to reside in you. And people think that's kind of weird and... You know, people and, you know, we call ourselves Reformed University Fellowship, the Reformed part. We like to be academic and have things make sense. This is where things get mystical. Uh, There's a guy named Tim Keller who says, I think really well, that we always have to keep in mind that Christianity is too rational to be mysticism, but it's too mystical to be rationalism. And this whole thing about the Holy Spirit coming and having this intimate relationship with you can be summed up in this way, I would say. Whether you know it or not, the part of God or the member of the Godhead that you know best is the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, in the Last Supper, when He's talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, says, you know, um, that's going to be the part of us that convicts you of sin, that brings you into a relationship with us that will come and take up residence in you, that will remind you of the truth, that will enlighten you and lead you in the way that you should go. So basically, every practical experience you've ever had with God has been a ministry of the Holy Spirit. And again, it's... Behold, somebody worthy of your worship. Somebody to make you who you knew that you were meant to be. And you have a need for that. We just can't uh, decide that we're going to grow more and read more books and that kind of stuff. We need to sit and and enter into that mystical aspect of having a relationship with God. Of going, if He doesn't show up, then this has been a huge waste of time. You know, uh, my my folks, um, two years ago, uh, they had a severe ice storm in, in their area. And, uh, and, and they showed me photographs It looked like a World War I landscape because trees were just shattered halfway up, you know, all the power lines down. They were without power, and it was below freezing for more than six weeks, and they had a fireplace, and that was it. No worries. They could keep things cold. They just put them in the kitchen. <laughs> it was cold. Uh, they lived. They, they went from living in this nice big house nice warmed house into huddling around a fire their one fireplace and, and, and in lots of ways I, I feel like Christians because they ignore the ministry of the Holy Spirit their need for them to be there uh, to cultivate this relationship with them uh, it's like they' they live in a house without the power on and and uh, and and what this is a demonstration of is when we get out of the way and let God have His way with us, the Holy Spirit have His way with us, things happen. Things happen in our life. And, and this is, again, an invitation for you to open yourself to Him. I'm going to wrap this up quickly with the last part. And it's just this, that Jesus is the heart of the gospel. I think it's really interesting. In verse 37, it says that the people were cut to their hearts. And there's an individual and a collective sense to that. That each person listening got it. To the point that, and again, collectively they cried out, What shall we do? And well, well, what did they do? They, they became the church. And why? Why did they become the church? Because when Peter laid out the fact that Jesus is who he is, and this is what he did. And here's what he overcame, knowing how screwed up we were. He still did it anyway. The people were moved. And they became one. They became a body. And that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, when, when you see people grasping that truth, and having it change them, having, that have their way with them, it is a, it, it's a tremendous comfort and, um, and an undeniable reality. Again, it's one of those, this has to be true. You know, uh, I, I'm a little bit um, strung out. I'm just tired because uh, recently we were back in Oklahoma for my sister's funeral. She, she died at the age of 52 recently, very unexpectedly. And uh, very, very sad about that. But I, I can tell you that when my father called me with the news about Tracy, the grief slammed into me, and the comfort came too. Because my sister, who'd had a rough life, uh, was very authentic. No nonsense. You knew exactly what she was up about, you know, she was up to and what she thought about everything. And uh, her faith is undeniable. As a matter of fact, I could say her faith was undeniable. Not that she doesn't have it anymore, but because her faith has become sight. Uh, the, the comfort came because I knew that I knew. And I, I'd seen it work out in her life that, that as a broken person, uh, she opened herself to Jesus coming into her life. And making a difference forever for her, and um, and you know when you when you get to that point, when death comes that close, you can't joke around, you can't kid around. It's uh, it's either real or it's not. And, and the beautiful thing is, it, it was just a, a huge ministry, uh, a gift my sister gave me, and and the rest of my family, and that. Uh, we have we no doubts about where she is now. And again, it's because she connected with the things that Peter was preaching about that made the church the church that made her who she is and, and makes me and you, you know, if you believe who you are. And the great thing about this is, was the church perfect when it got born? Go like this. No. Most of the rest of the Old Testament was written because they were so screwed up. you know? No, don't do that. Oh, c- c- come on. Stop that. You know, This kind of thing. I, you know, there, there, were, there were lots of correctives in the, in the rest of the New Testament. But, but the faith was real and true. And even as flawed as she is, the church, even as flawed as we are as Christians, um, we can take comfort in something. Uh, with the shining start and then really soon lots of flaws, we can say with the church in its infancy, like, um, well, like a college speaker said to me when I was a brand new Christian my freshman year, I know I'm not who I ought to be, you know, but I'm not who I used to be. And by God's grace, I'm not who I'm going to be. And that is a beautiful thing. And, and what is that rooted in? Not that I'm going to study harder and behave better or, or do gooder. All the English majors just shuddered. I did that on purpose. No, seriously, it's, it's this. It's because of who he is. And then he knows who I am and he still came for me anyway. That is a beautiful thing. And that is what we can take to the bank. Amen? How about we pray? Father, thanks that, uh, that you knew how messed up we were and you still decreed salvation. Your Son knew how messed up we were and what it would take for Him to save us and He still came anyway. That Your Spirit knows the darkest corners and crannies of our lives right now. And He still comes to us. Thank You for that. Would You be gracious? Be gracious to help us to believe that more. Be gracious to help us to value that more than anything else. That we might more and more reside not as scholars, not as turtles... Not as good looking people, um, not as powerful people, but as your sons and daughters. And uh, help us to be rooted there, we pray, more and more. In Christ's name, Amen. All right.
0: We're going to sing another song to close.